Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The office is actually really, really important. This comes back to the idea of culture and belonging and a sense of place and a sense of being part of something, this sense of purpose and connection that we all crave for. Whether you're in fashion, whether you're in art and design, whether you're fintech, actually whether you're legal, my belief is that really the office should always probably be in beta mode now. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. It's Friday, June 4th. The pandemic has fundamentally altered the way we work, forcing both employers and employees to embrace the idea of working from home. But now, as vaccination rates rise, offices begin to reopen, and employee expectations around flexible working models grow, business leaders everywhere are asking themselves the same question. What's the role of an office in a post-COVID world? This week on the BOF podcast, Jane Clay, Strategic Director at Workplace Design Consultancy Gensler, joins me to discuss why offices should be more than just functional workplaces. Jane recommends taking a more holistic view, establishing how shared spaces can create a real sense of culture, community, and belonging. 
First, I asked Jane for her thoughts on how the pandemic has accelerated long-standing shifts in attitudes towards the role of the office in the modern workplace. It's the big question, right? Uh, It's kind of the holy grail of the moment. You know, and this ties in with the issue of brand and mission, really, because the office, you know, we've done lots of studies. Lots of people have done lots of studies, and we touched on this when we spoke before around why have an office, why have a head office, why have an HQ? Does anybody even need an office anymore? All of those sorts of questions spinning through people's minds. But the office is actually really, really important. This comes back to the idea of culture and belonging and a sense of place and a sense of being part of something, this sense of purpose and connection that we all crave for. And the office really is becoming a a symbol of that connection to something bigger than ourselves, um, to the places we want to work, right? To the things that we value, the places um, where we choose to spend our lives of work. And I think that the office is, is transforming into that cultural totem that we talked about. It's the symbol of the place where we choose to be and um, grow our careers. Um, It it represents, in a way, our own values and mission. So it's less of the box where we go to perform everyday tasks, but it's become the place where we're going to go and be our best in terms of growth. I was talking to somebody about it at work the other day that, you know, it's less about a workplace, it's more about this idea of a work style. It's a place where you can meet that style. I think it's really funny that, you know, in an an ironic kind of way, COVID, as the accelerant for a huge amount of change, has somehow, even through lockdown, which gave us no choice, in, in an odd sort of ironic way, it's given us a huge amount of choice, particularly in the world of work, because Now we can choose where we want to work. We didn't have the choice at the beginning, but now as we come out of it and emerge, um, I think we can't really have that choice taken away from us. So all bets are off about how it might look um, when we all come back. So the office has to be something different. Is it really an office? That's the question. There are companies that have already made the decision that they're going to go full-time remote. You know, there are companies in the tech industry, but, you know, we recently ran a story on BOF um, where companies have said, well, we've just decided not to have a work Uh space or place anymore. And what we're going to do instead is we're going to create these, you know, moments during the year where we're all fly into one place and spend time together, all expenses paid by the company. Are, Are companies that are kind of moving to that model? Are they making a mistake around creating the sense of culture and belonging that you were just referring to? I think each to their own. I think this this really comes down to, on the one hand, it's great that there isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer. I think the challenge, particularly for designers in my field, is that there also isn't a right or wrong answer. For some organizations, that is the right solution. And it works for a number of financial reasons because perhaps they can reward their staff in different ways. You know, the money they may spend on real estate, they can reward to their staff with those sorts of gatherings and get-togethers or increased salaries or perks or whatever it might be. Um, but for others, it's about actually I want to put that money into having the right real estate in the right place 
um, with the right representative types of spaces and places that make my people happy and enable them to do their best work. So mistake probably isn't the right word, but, you know, they might be, I, I said it, I think before, you know, they might be shooting themselves in their own square footage if they, if they do something rash and they might regret it. But at the same time, it's about what's right for that culture. If you have, for instance, a lot of um, people in your organization who are quite young and may need a lot of mentoring and a lot of, if you like, looking after um, in the sense of their growth and learning, then it might not be such a great idea to not have them around you because how do you look after them? And we know from research that that younger people really need that kind of care in the workplace because, you know, we're all human and it's that feeling of family and culture that's so important. So the answer is that there isn't really a right or wrong answer. But I think you have to look to the culture of the individual organization before you make that decision. I think there potentially have been some knee-jerk reactions about, this is great, I can cut you know, the office, I can cut my space in half. But there isn't, you know, give it a year or two, and uh, they may find they have to be looking for space again. But we don't know for sure. It kind of reminds me of, you know, 10 years ago when all of these new digital native brands started launching online and they said, oh, we're just going to sell products directly to our customers via the Internet. And then over time, they found that actually having a physical space for selling and engaging directly with their customer and being a representation of the brand actually turned out to be important. And when they set up stores, it drove up sales online as well. So I, for me, there's an, there's an analog there. An interesting point about, you know, the idea of sort of a retail environment and an office, because it's one thing, you know, I talk a lot about blurred lines. Um, and in, in the history of kind of workplace and the history of lifestyle and retail environments, we're, we're talking about experiences, <laughs> You know, it's all about that experience of the human and they're not that different. You know, if you think about a consumer and you think about an employee, they're after very similar things. You know, what's an employee but a consumer of space? Now, a a consumer in a retail environment or a lifestyle environment, they're they're looking for slightly different experiences, but they still have touch points they, they want to have throughout a space. They still have things they want to look at and see, and they're going for a particular, they're motivated to go there for a different reason. But when you look at it, it it kind of collapses into the same thing. And, And I would say that now more than ever, those things have blurred together. So there is a very real correlation, you know, almost as you put it, there are some real similarities here. And I think we can all learn from that, um, particularly perhaps, you know, in the creative industries as we look to how we want to be working and how we want to be um, showcasing ourselves in terms of what we do. And I think actually, even in the non-creative industries, I think there's been a huge shift about how people want to project themselves as businesses. Because ultimately, you know, it's funny, you know, space, space has always tended to be, well, it is by its very nature, a fixed thing. But people are not fixed. People are, by their very nature, quite fluid, both in their in their movements, in their thinking, 
in the way that they just are and the way they react. So it's always been a question of trying to put something that's really very emotive and fluid into very fixed space. And, you know, by by doing that, you constrain creativity, right? So we're at a point in time where perhaps you can't make a building fluid or a space, you know, particularly stretchy, but you can certainly start thinking about the design of it in a very different way to respond better to, to humans. You know, you mentioned the creative industries, and I think it's important to have that part of the discussion as well, because for a creative industry like fashion, where so much of the work is collaborative, so much of the work is about people bringing together ideas, working together on, you know, physical products. You know, we do have digital fashion now, but it's Mm. still largely a physical industry. It's a physical um, product that we're creating. And therefore, you know, to create those kinds of things together within a team, it's often important to bring people together and working remotely can actually be extremely challenging. So in your work on the future of work, how do you think differently between creative companies versus ones that might be more about desk work and, you know, sitting in front of a computer? With the emergence of what we're all calling hybrid work, you know, we know that people want to spend their time mixed between home and the office. Well, with that has come, even for people who are, we might have traditionally thought were more stuck behind a desk, they're working in what we're calling more agile ways. And that means much more working with wider groups of people. So perhaps what I'm saying there really is that, is the desk work really the desk work anymore? I think that we're seeing a movement away from purely that straight desk work as we used to know it. You know, if you think about the rise of fintech, you know, you've got big financial firms, really, they are hiring in the pool of the tech talent. So they're competing with Google and Microsoft and others for talent. They've got to be um, much sharper in terms of the environments they're offering. You know, it's it's the kind of attraction magnet that they have to be. So they don't see themselves as just the desk environment anymore. Perhaps it's not as creative as a pure creative environment, you know, to, to look at aesthetically. But I think that it's beginning to blur even there. There are obviously scales, you know, from a slightly more fixed environment to a very fluid environment, to use the fixed and fluid analogy again. But it's beginning to become a much wider range. I, I think we are seeing less pure desking type environments. And the environments that people are asking for now, certainly with the organizations that we're working with, is very, very focused on collaboration environments. I would say it's more about the rise of the spaces between. So fixed environments still matter. Things like, you know, you do still need some desks and you do still need kind of formal meeting spaces. The spaces in between matter ever more. Think about it, education environments where students go and they collect together to do stuff, right? They ideate, they socialize, they play, they brainstorm, and environments that probably they co-create in the moment. Those are the kind of spaces that people are asking for more and more even the organizations that perhaps were a little bit more traditional. So we're seeing a really, really big shift. So there's no single right answer here. You know, it all depends on an individual company, their culture, the way, you know, they want to go about doing things. 
from the kind of full spectrum of fully in an office to fully remote. And there's many, many, many iterations in between. If you're a business or creative leader in in the fashion industry, how do you go about thinking where on that spectrum you should sit? How, how How should leaders be thinking about making the right decision for their organization? Well, first of all, you've got to decide what's driving you to make that decision. There are a number of factors at play. What's driving you, the space equation or the people equation, or is it both? You know, you mentioned that, you know, many organizations are going purely um, space-less. That's one, and that might be a driver for them. But if you have a business where people are really desperate to be predominantly hybrid in their working mode, then there's a lot of other things to think about. You know, policy, flexible working policies, you know, there's a lot of other things that come into play. It's not just about the spatial stuff. So you start to get into a much richer conversation. So you kind of have to start with a little bit of a diagnostic in the sense of why do we want to do this? What is our vision for the future? And of course, most organizations have a business plan and, you know, a vision. You know, have a good hard look at that and say, what does that really mean for our people and what they're asking for? Kind of ties back to something I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, which is about communication. And that, again, aligns with the culture conversation. Really understand what you're doing it for and what's driving it and where you want to get with it. What's the purpose of, of, of making the change? And then saying, fine, if we establish what we want to make the change for, um, you know, we've got this office space. If we could reduce it, let's say that's that's what you might want to do. We want to reduce it because we want to refurbish it because if we do that, we can actually have all new furniture, we can have everything collaborative, we can make it highly collaborative, we can have the best coffee, hey, we can have a great summer party, whatever the reason might be, then, you know, alongside of that, you need to start communicating that message to people. I think you have to start doing it by having a really strong strategy. A bit simply have the strategy right up front um, and you know do that bit of navel gazing first because that's really important get all those ducks in a row first have that right then start communicating it then engage with the right group of people perhaps from across the organization the interested parties you know your own influences if you like those people that are connected that people always go to get those, you know, sometimes we call them change influencers, but we were working with a consumer goods brand recently. And we said, you know, if you had somebody who was going to do change management in your organization and and really what's change management about somebody who's able to have a great conversation and is very persuasive and will help you along a path, well, they would be like an instant influencer, right? So find those people within your own organization and help them help you do that work. So together you co-create what your future is. And if you take that approach, it actually comes together quite intuitively. And if you have the right design team in the mix working with you in partnership, um, this isn't a we'll do it to you situation, then you get the answer that's kind of bespoke for you. And it's, it's, it's worked around your culture and your people, if that answers the question. (laughs) No, absolutely, it does. And I think the co-creation of the future of work for an individual organization with employees is absolutely 
essential. So once you've kind of got that strategy in place, you've consulted those influencers inside your organization, the change agents, how do we go about implementing it? So for example, many organizations have existing spaces. You know, they have spaces that have been empty now for a year or more. And those spaces were designed for a completely different operating model. What, what is the thought process or thinking that goes into repurposing an existing space? Yeah, it, it's a good question. I mean, we're actually working with a number of people, some who have, you know, a lot of people have done social distancing within their existing layout. So, you know, every third desk is empty uh, or, or every third desk is occupiable, certain meeting rooms, et cetera, closed off. So what a lot of people are doing is taking, have taken the time to say, what if I was to rethink this now because two-thirds of my workforce wants to be totally hybrid? So they're taking the time to do some options analysis, if you like, on their layouts. Wise move, right? They're, they're taking the time to say, hey, what if we did this a little bit differently? And I think what you can do if if you take that time is you can play with a few ideas I think the best thing to do is to use it as a kind of a pilot testing mode rather than go in full whack and change everything with one idea. My advice is probably to take this time to just test because rather than go in and do something that is full on totally rework the space, because you don't necessarily know whether you're investing the right thing or not. Now, if it's an existing space, you've been out of it, then I would suggest come in, pilot a few things, you know, talk to your teams, talk to your people, say, hey, you know, if you really only want to be in two days a week, let's talk about the kind of spaces that we might need instead. Let's talk about that. What do you think's right? What do you think would work for you? Okay, what about these ideas? Co-create a little bit and test some things out. And there's lots of furniture systems and solutions out there that you can kind of wheel in fairly quickly, right? You can test some things out before you go into a big investment mode. Um, we're doing that with a few clients, actually. There are some other clients that um, we're working with where we've been kind of paused in the middle of design. So the design is having to morph before we've actually finalized it. And in that scenario, it's slightly different. In one case, we just finished the strategy and we were just beginning to look at the conceptual design for the space. Luckily, the strategy was already a little bit ahead of its time. So we were already thinking along the idea of a a, a kit of parts that was very flexible. So actually, all we've had to do is think a little bit differently about adding to some of the kit of parts. So in that instance, I would say think ultimate flexibility. So if you think in the idea of what are the kind of, what are the puzzle pieces that you might want in your space, think of your space in that way, then you can, if you like, self-I, self-create. So think about that suite of elements that you might want. Think about what needs to be fixed in your space and what you can keep fluid. Back to this idea of spaces in between that can do much more than one thing because that's pretty important for people at the moment, this idea of spaces they can transform. Back to that idea of education spaces and people wanting to group together and do different things at will when and when and if they want to. And I think that's particularly um, important for creative industries. And if you go that route, you've kind of tied in the flexibility, that transformation factor. So 
I think that's keep the flexibility element top of mind. Don't rush to fix stuff. You know, obviously get the strategy set, as I said, but it, it also depends where you are in the mode. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Yeah, I mean, this point around flexibility is really important, as as is the idea that actually, you know, moving to a so-called final solution when we don't really know how this is all going to work in the end seems... Um, like it could be a bit premature. So I really love this idea that this is an iterative process and we're all going to be learning as we go along. Because, you know, I I guess when people first started working in offices in the first instance, I'm sure it's changed a lot since then. And this is just going to be something that evolves and develops over time. 
um, as we understand it. What really fascinates me, and I've been, you know, in the business for about 35 years now, too long, but you know, it started off as boxes, right? Everybody was in an office and then everybody went to, everybody had a desk, nobody shared anything. Everything was quite prescribed. And the business of design was just about color and finish and how things looked. Basically, the rules were quite simple. Then everything kind of exploded in the late 80s and early 90s. And it was all about open plan and efficiency. And then came this idea of activity-based working and, you know, oh, you could share a desk and everybody was really reluctant to do that. And then that was still a struggle for many people pre-COVID. Then COVID hits, you know, a massive accelerant. You know, somebody just threw a grenade into the world of work and overnight everybody's got their own office at the kitchen table. So all those people who are reluctant to do something differently can now do it differently. So we're at this incredible, I mean, what an incredible opportunity to, to, to really think again. So to me, to come out of that and to go back into putting yourself back into a little box is a little bit premature, I'd say. My belief is that really the office should always probably be in beta mode now. You know, think of it as an experience that probably is constantly transforming. You know, if, if the office was a person, you know, a bit like we are, it's going to have a personality. You know, it'll have a different mood every day. It might not be in a good mood one day. It might be in a fantastic mood the next day. Like, like us, it interacts with different people. So it might want to, you know, it might want to wear a different outfit the next day. You know, it, it's, it's think of it differently. So the more you try and fix it to be something, the more it might not perform. So I think there's something about this idea of, transformation and flexibility and, and fluid that if we can get that balance right, you know, thinking of, a, of an ecosystem of, of things in balance, and part of that is us, of course, the people who occupy that space, the more success, I think, we'll have as businesses within that environment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I like the idea because that means you're just constantly learning and there is no kind of permanence. It's always changing and evolving as we learn. Jane, could we talk a few, about a few practical things now that have been on my mind around yes. the future of work? So first of all, you know, you mentioned earlier that a lot of offices have already put into place, you know, hygiene factors or hygiene elements to kind of keep people safe from COVID. One of the things I've been thinking about just generally about the last year is how many of these new hygiene protocols that, you know, we've become, you know, used to wearing masks and, um, you know, staying, you know, apart from each other, um, washing our hands. How, how does hygiene look in, in this kind of new office space? Again, I think you're going to have to look to people because I think we have to design with it in mind. I think certain things aren't going to go away. You know, with any trauma in society, it takes a while for the shock of it to go. I think who was it said, you know, it takes about 18 months or two years for the kind of shock waves to go. So I think as we design uh, spaces, we have to cater for that. Now, whether we need to have foot levers on doors to open them constantly is another question. I think, you know, over time, that sort of thing will will probably go away. But whether we're talking about certain metals for door handles because they're naturally germ-free, you know, that's another, that, that might be something that stays. Whether we're talking about the desire for terraces and things like that because people want natural air, those sorts of things may stay. 
because they kind of make sense anyway, um, actually. They've been things that people have probably wanted for a while, but now there's a reason to, to really do them. So I think you've got to filter through what what's a now issue and what's a it makes sense in the long-term issue. I think the masks is something that is a choice issue. You know, just, just taking that as an example, that's a choice issue. People may want to do that. People may not. I think the temperature gauges at buildings, look at how people have wheeled those in quickly. I don't think there'll be things that will be designed in as systems necessarily. There'll be things that are wheeled in and out as needed. I think hygiene, though, everybody, frankly, society's kind of on red alert for it generally. So I think it's kind of been seamlessly incorporated in thinking in terms of design. But there are elements of it that can be, as I've said, you know, wheeled in and elements that can be wheeled out. Some of it, I think, will stay because it makes sense anyway. The other thing I've been grappling with as, you know, we've been thinking about our own working model at BOF is around, okay, if we're going to have a hybrid operating model, that means at any given time, there's some workers in the office and some workers working from home. And I've heard so many different solutions for how to make that work in practice. But one of the, like, for example, very practical challenges is that when you have a meeting taking place and some people are in a, a room together and other people are at home on a screen, there's this there's this kind of instant friction that's created. You know, there's been something quite democratic in a way about Zoom meetings because everyone's on the same level. You know, everyone's got the same square on a screen. You know, everyone has visibility in the meeting. Um, but when you start creating this kind of part in, in-person, part remote meeting, it becomes very difficult because the people in the remote call automatically feel a little bit disconnected from what's happening in the room. Are there ways we can solve for that? I think that kind of comes down to behavioral protocols, actually, because physically you can't solve for it. The, the reality is physically you can't solve for it for all the reasons you've just said, because it's human nature. You know, if you're in a room with somebody, you have a little aside conversation or there's a little bit of body language or, you know, the eye movement, you know, the eye roll, whatever it might be. You know, it's natural. And you're not kind of in on the joke when you're in your own little Zoom square, right? So it has to come down to better management of, of protocols and behavior, I think. And again, this ties back to the cultural thing. What are your kind of rules for that? You know, the, the equity issue, equity of experience, I think, is, is the way to put it, is being very mindful as a group of your impact on others in those situations. Because while we've all been in our own little boxes, as you've said, it's, it's very easy. We're all having the same experience. But as soon as you start to have some in and some out, we have to be very mindful of that. And this means the communication and behavioral protocols have to be really, really looked at as we come back. The hybrid experience is going to be easy in terms of the fact that it gives people the choice they want. But there are going to be some things that are going to be tough that we have to look at very carefully. And that's one that you've highlighted that is top of mind for many, many people. I mean, people are talking about having specific rooms that are quite immersive, you know, and there could be technology and there is technology, I believe, that will help people feel like it's a, it's a similar experience that you're in the room. Not everybody can afford that. Not everybody might want to go for that. 
How long do you need to do that for? Again, when do you invest in that? And when is that a short-term need? So the simplest thing is to talk about human behavior in that situation. The other thing that's been creeping into the conversation around the workplace is sustainability. And of course, while we've been you know, coping or trying to cope with the crisis of COVID, uh, the climate crisis has been you know, ratcheting up in the background in terms of being more front of mind for everyone. What do leaders need to think about as, as they're designing you know, these new working models, these new workplaces and spaces when it comes to being more sustainable? Really think about what you're doing. Don't leave the sustainability conversation till the last minute. When I mentioned the strategy that you do up front, really have a vision for what you want to do on the sustainable agenda. You know, if you if you already have an existing workplace, for instance, you could be reusing materials. You know, if you're going to knock down something or if you're going to knock down a building, you know, people can reuse the materials. You can weave that back in. Uh, you can repurpose furniture. There's all sorts of things that you can do really being thoughtful about your movements, if you like, in terms of what you're doing on the design front. But also, when you think about real estate, actually, we were having this conversation in the office the other day. You know, when you think about, just think about the city of London, for example, and you think about the the number of businesses, um, particularly actually on the retail, the high street, you know, think about the businesses that have suffered um, and crashed through COVID and the empty spaces that we see. How do we deal with those spaces? What do they become? How do we reinvigorate those spaces? There's something around the idea of, you know, how do we reposition real estate? So why build something new when you can reposition something old? There's a relevance in the old, actually, that also has a great story when it comes to sustainability. So this idea of, you know, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, looking back, being mindful, thinking about the materiality, thinking about the decisions you make, actually thinking about location, allowing your staff to work from home because, you know, actually, if they do, they're not traveling. Again, thinking about not having huge company meetings and all flying across the world, you know, that's another because travel, we've all proved that travel doesn't have to happen as an organization. So there are many ways in which we can be more mindful, not just from the design perspective. So finally, I just, as we look ahead to this brave new world that we're entering in the in the future of work, you know, one of the things that I've been reading about a lot in which you touched upon earlier is around culture, especially as it pertains to our younger employees. You know, if I think back to my first time working in office, I was very much sitting in a box of my own and it wasn't flexible at all. And it wasn't anything like what we're talking about today. But what it was, was a place for me to learn, you know, Mm -hmm. and just watching the people who were five or 10 or 15 or 20 years ahead of me in their careers, you know, observing them in meetings, you know, you know, sitting down with them when I needed advice, you know, not in a scheduled way, but in a way that was just really organic, something that could just happen because we're in the same space, picking up on the way someone is feeling and being able to take them aside and say, are you okay? You know, all of that is part of kind of raising up and mentoring and developing the next generation of leaders. And I think of all the things 
that I'm most worried about as as I think about the future is like how do we keep that apprenticeship culture? I think it was Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan who made some comments about, well, we're going to have everyone in the office all the time because we want to, you know, we're in an apprenticeship culture and like we can't do that remotely. How do how do we how do we retain all of that kind of almost osmotic passing on of information, knowledge and culture to the rest of the team? Are you saying if if you're remote or in in a new in a new environment? I mean, in this new hybrid world where, you know, there's less, you know, if people are only in the office two days a week and there's, you know, there's just less opportunity for it's in a way, you know, when people are in the space, it's going to be more because they have a meeting to attend, create the kind of random acts of mentorship and apprenticeship that are so critical to development. I think that when people are in the office, they are going to go big time for the social. I I really think that. I think that when people are in, they're going to be using those spaces to really collaborate and connect. I think that they really are going to celebrate being together. Now, not everybody's going to be together all the time, but I I do think that the, the way people talk to each other, the way people connect... You know, the the need for human connection has been really highlighted all the way through the pandemic. I don't know about you, but I've certainly had so many sort of side calls, Teams calls, Zoom calls with people just to check in. And I think that the culture of doing that isn't going to go away. And, And I think when we all get back together, even if we're only two or three days or we might miss each other on those days, uh, I think that there will be a kind of a resurgence of that connection. I think in a way it'll strengthen it actually. But I think it's a reminder for all of us perhaps who are a bit older and and a bit more seasoned to remember to tell our stories. I think that's really, really important is to tell the stories, to, to, to talk about your failures, tell the funny stories where you made an absolute fool of yourself, tell the um, the success stories, be vulnerable let people know who you are and actually open up a little bit more. And I think that's another great thing that's come out of the the whole COVID experience is that we've all been made vulnerable. So in a way, we've all opened up a little bit more. And I think as we come back and we move into that hybrid work world, if we keep that, even if we're not all together all the time, we'll create something even better, perhaps. Yeah, in a way, what you might be saying is that Perhaps we took each other for granted before because we saw each other every day, five days a week. And it was this kind of routine, you know, the rat race of, you know, walk, getting to the office, get, you know, the time we spend together physically is going to just have so much more meaning to it. And when we have those focused moments at home to do work, when we don't want to be distracted or we need to be heads down, you know, that's also good. But the time we spend together maybe is more intentional because when we're coming to the office, we're coming for that connection. We're coming for that social experience. That's totally it. I, I mean, I think that's what we've all missed. And I think a space and a place designed for that will foster creativity, whether you're in fashion, whether you're in art and design, whether you're fintech, actually whether you're legal, I think no matter what um, arena of work you're in, it will be that totem for culture and connection. 
And I think that's really, really special because I think we have taken each other for granted. And the new world of work can, and I hope will be something that really connects us back together as humans. Okay, well, Jane, I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you. It's been, you know, this obviously as the leader of my own business, I've been thinking about these topics a lot and your insights and perspectives are very much appreciated. And I'm sure all of our listeners out there will have taken a lot away from the conversation. So thank you very much for today. Thank you for having me on. It's been fantastic. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the BOF podcast for our look inside fashion and how it connects to currents in the wider world. If you're not yet a BOF professional member, join today with our 30-day risk-free trial and benefit from exclusive access to agenda-setting analysis you won't find anywhere else. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Bartan, and Kevin Bobby Blanco in the BOF studio team. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.